The Bible reading is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning at verse 18. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm just going to pray before we start. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are your people and we dwell in the house of the Lord. Lord, I just pray your blessing on the service this morning. Pray your blessing on everybody here. Lord, we thank you and we remember your sacrifice for us this morning that you've given us freedom and peace and joy through your life, death, and resurrection. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Amen. So after the outbreak of the First World War, Lord Kitchener, the Secretary of State for War, realized that he was going to need a bigger army. And so he made a direct appeal to the young men of Britain. And here in County Down, an officer on horseback rode around the villages and townlands with a list of names of young men that he wanted to recruit. One of the names on that list was my father's uncle, James Tate. James lived and worked on what is still our family farm in Kalinchi. And he was one of five children and he would have been about 18 years old when the call to war came. And when his dad heard about the recruitment drive, he went out to find James, but he couldn't find him anywhere and he searched everywhere and the two met up in Killalay, which is the next town over from Kalinchi. But it was actually too late because James had already been to Downpatrick and enlisted and he was on his way back. And just under two years later, when the whistles blew on the first morning of the Battle of the Somme, James was one of those approximately 100,000 men that clambered up ladders and headed out into no man's land towards the enemy lines. And I was always told that that day they were cut down by machine gun fire like sheaves of corn. And James, like so many others, wouldn't return home. And over the years, as that story was told and retold in our family, I couldn't help but ask the question, why was he so keen to go? Over the years, pondering it and thinking it through with my family and talking it over, we've come to see that there were a lot of factors at play in his decision. There was a massive campaign going on at the time to encourage young men to enlist and to do their duty. And there was a desire among those men, those young men, to be treated like men, to strike out on their own and make their own mark and be part of an adventure. But perhaps primarily amongst them was a desire to go out there and meet the challenge and win and be part of winning the war. Evolutionary biologists tell us that the desire to win or succeed is a core driver of all life on earth. Life competes, 
and life forms that win survive and thrive and life forms that don't win perish in many areas of our lives the drive to win has led to positive outcomes like like technology and medicine and science for example but it's fair to say that with those blessings have often come challenges Today on Remembrance Sunday, we remember all those who've lost their lives in conflict when the desire to win and to succeed among nations has caused war. The reality is that we're all too aware that humankind's desire to succeed has a dark side. This week as part of the Immerse series, we're in the Gospel of Matthew. And this morning, we're looking at the call of the first disciples, and that's the passage that Ailery read for us. And I was asking the same question, why did these fishermen leave their families and their livelihoods so willingly, so wholeheartedly and quickly to follow Jesus? I've come to see that actually, again, there were many factors at play. But again, foremost in the mix was the desire to succeed and to win. And here's why. Israel had waited for a long time for their promised Messiah, who they believed would come as a conquering king and overthrow their enemies and reinstate God's people to power. Matthew tells us that just before Jesus started his public ministry, John the Baptist was arrested. And that was probably because he was stirring up as many, many followers by declaring that the Messiah had actually come. So as Jesus walks along this beach, along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Simon and Peter Uh, sorry Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John and he calls to them come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people these lowly fishermen actually had a golden opportunity for advancement in front of them and they would have got up and left and they would have done that with the prayers and blessing of their families because they had the chance not only to follow a rabbi of great authority but a rabbi who might be the messiah and the atmosphere at the time was charged with the expectation of a coming victory and they were getting a chance to be at the heart of it but it wouldn't be long before the disciples realized that Jesus hadn't come to give the people what they want he'd actually come to change the things they wanted the funny thing about the kingdom of God is that it operates in a way that's very different to the way that we've come to expect in this world in the kingdom of heaven power comes through weakness and freedom comes through surrender Victory comes through defeat, and life comes through death. The Hollywood actor Jim Curry shot to fame in the late 1990s, after years of having pretty much nothing, and for a while there it really looked like he had it all. He was talented and successful, and he was mega rich and super successful in all areas of his life. And as he reflected on that success years later, He said this, he said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. So often we get to the mountaintop of achievement and all that's there is actually haunting emptiness and that's because success is not really what we're after. Because deeper down than a desire for success is a desire for acceptance and approval. We all want to be approved of of and accepted. It might be with our boss or our spouse or our followers on social media. And we can often seek it in unhealthy ways through overworking, or we might seek it through performance and striving, 
or we might seek it by hiding what we really believe because we think people won't approve of those beliefs. Whatever it is that scratches the itch for us, the reality is that we have to continue the pattern. We're slaves to it. Because the, things, the thing is, this world can't give us true and lasting acceptance. We're never truly accepted. We're only good, as good as our last result. The reality is that God is the only one whose acceptance actually has the power to make us feel completely secure and to give us rest. But sadly, because of sin in the world, our lives have been cut off from him. And until we're reunited with him and find that true, lasting and acceptance and approval that we so desperately need, we'll continue to fill our lives with experiences and stuff and we'll continue to strive and perform and we'll continue to try and say the right thing to fit in and we'll continue to feel empty and lost and utterly depleted. And so when Jesus comes, he says things like, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Matthew shows us that Jesus is the new and greater Moses who's come to unburden the people and to lead them out of slavery. This new exodus is to lead people out of slavery to sin and death. And it isn't just for the elites or those who thought they were righteous. It's for ordinary people. It's for fishermen. The kingdom of heaven was and still is for anyone who will come, regardless of their status in life or their past. Jesus is the only person who didn't have that inbuilt desire to win and succeed. He completely set aside any aspirations he could have had over his own life. He says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus follows God's call to leave the perfect peace and security of heaven and come into a world that he knew would reject him. Because he's, because he's the only one who obeyed the Father perfectly and set aside his own desire to exceed, he's the only one who can make the perfect sacrifice to cover our sins. And when he's raised again three days after his death on the cross, the only lasting victory that's been achieved for us, um, his, his victory is the only lasting victory and it's been achieved for us. We don't have to try and achieve it ourselves. And so now we can be fully accepted by God through faith in Jesus Christ and we'll live with him in the eternal kingdom of heaven as deeply loved children of God. And I just wonder, is he calling you to follow him this morning? Is he walking past you with your cares and your burdens? And is he asking you to leave those behind and come and follow him? As we follow him and as we obey him, not because we're striving to please him, because we, we can't add to anything he's done for us, but as a genuine heartful, heart response to the thankfulness, uh, in thankfulness to what the Lord has done, He'll begin to work through our lives as we lay them down for him, step by step. It starts in small ways, as Nigel was saying. It's just a, a willingness to follow him, and he'll actually begin to transform your life. And in this way, he'll show us how to fish for people. There's a direct line from those fishermen all the way down through history, through heresies and persecutions and times of renewal to each one of us sitting here this morning. 
because they were transformed through faith in Jesus Christ, which led them to repent of their sin and obey the new law of the Spirit, they fulfilled the Great Commission in word and deed with signs and wonders, and the kingdom of God has increased. From those early followers, that small number, to now 2.5 billion followers of Jesus alive today around the world, all learning how to fish for people. So what does that look like for us as individuals in our day-to-day? I honestly think it's about repentance. The first word Jesus spoke, or the first words he spoke in his public ministry were to call people to repent. And somehow we have this notion about repentance that it's sackcloth and ashes and sad faces. But I actually think it's much more about a surrender at a heart level that takes place inside our hearts. To say to God that we'll stop doing the things that we want to do and begin to say to him that we'll do the things that he wants us to do. And it's a daily walk. Robin, has, uh, our son, has got really good at saying sorry. He's really learned how to say sorry quickly. And he says it really well, just to get exactly the right result that he's looking for. And so, like, we know he's three, so we don't want to be too hard on him. So we cut him some slack and let him away with that. But we also want to try and teach him. So we say to him, Robin, if you're really sorry, that means you won't do it again. And Jesus says that the way that we can show him we love him is by keeping his commandments. Safe in the knowledge that everything that we need for being reunited with God has been done for us on the cross. But actually, that's not where Jesus wants us to stay, just to sit there and rest. He wants us to walk with him and to learn from him and to learn to keep his commandments. And that way, we can live a life that draws other people to him. So maybe this week, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can find something in your life that you can lay down for God. It might even, be, it might even mean letting go of something that is good, But because you've prayed about it and you've met God in his word and you've realized that some of the desires you have are actually fueled by a desire for your own success, that you decide to lay it down. And instead, you step further into the freedom and the victory of the kingdom of heaven by picking up a command of Jesus, like, I will will show you how to fish for people. The most effective way that this church will ever be involved in the mission of God is when every person in this place takes that command to fish for people into every area of their lives every day. And we often say, oh, my faith's private or I want to keep it to myself, but the Lord wants you to go public with it. And it's a step-by-step process. So you have to find little ways to begin in faith. So maybe it looks like taking some risks to reframe a conversation in your workplace that has a negative narrative and you want to bring some positivity into it. Or maybe it looks like telling somebody that you were at church on Sunday and instead of passing it off and saying, oh, I was at church on Sunday, you say, I was at church on Sunday and it was great. You know, it's one of the most important parts of my week. Or maybe it's praying with a neighbor or a friend and you know they've been going through a hard time. All these ways are ways that you can be salt and light in the world. These are ways that we can lay aside our own desires to be accepted by people and to live out our acceptance by the Father. As a church involved in local and global mission, I think the same applies. You know, we want our programs and our partnerships to thrive and grow for the glory of God, but 
if the growth and the success becomes the only goal, then what happens if the Lord actually calls you to serve a small number of people in a non-public way for years? Maybe that starts to not look successful, but actually following God's will is the most successful thing. So we hold our missional goals here lightly, seeking his will, asking him to show us how he would have us fish for people. And we do pray for an abundant harvest. Recently, the church, you guys, bought a suit for a young man in his early 20s. He and his partner had had a baby around the time Jesse was born. And by the time Jesse was eight weeks old, this young guy's partner had actually died and he was left alone with this baby. They're only kids in their early 20s and it was heartbreaking. And the family needed help to get suitable clothes for the funeral because money's tight like it is for so many people at the minute. And so we, as a church, bought some gift vouchers and we made an agreement with a suit shop and the family went and got what they needed. And somehow, because we blessed them, maybe that really difficult, hard day was a little easier for them. A few weeks later, I got to meet that young man for the first time and, you know, he's been through so much and you don't know what to say. And so I just looked him in the eye and I said, I'm sorry. And I hope you're hanging in there. And I asked him if he wanted to grab a a coffee sometime, and he said he would. And I pray that that will happen. And it would be amazing if God wrote a whole new story of hope over those lives because they need it. And I don't know what will come out of it, and your prayers about that would be appreciated. But I know that because a community of people here are grateful to Jesus and they've responded to that gratitude, that we as a church were able to bless that family and ease their burden even just a fraction. And I believe that the Lord is pleased with his church when they do that sort of thing. And so that's what we'll seek to do here is to show up for people and to help people at their point of need and to bless them and unburden them in any way that we can. The words from Matthew's gospel, for I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. So we're going to pray now. So let's pray. And maybe this is your moment of call, or maybe you've felt the Lord saying to you this morning, come follow me. Or maybe you've been following for years, but you feel like there's a call to go deeper, to further commit. Or maybe you're exhausted from an endless cycle of hope and despair as you seek the approval of people. This morning's an opportunity to gain the acceptance that will give you perfect peace and security by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to pray a prayer. And if you want to make that commitment, I invite you to echo this prayer in the silence of your hearts. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. 
please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And we're now going to stand for the creed.